The Apostle Paul said something very interesting about the church in his letter to Timothy. In fact, it was his first letter to Timothy, who was, as you know, some of you know, his protege, that one that was actually like a son to him, and he brought him up in the ministry. And he said this in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. I'll have it on the screen for you. He said this, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Paul's point is this, that the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be grounded on the truth and a support of the truth. Amen? And as Mary Jo referenced earlier in the worship, that we also have the Holy Spirit present within the church that is our guide that he guides us into all truth. And so we have the Spirit of God that literally one of his job descriptions is to guide us into all truth, and this truth is the truth that we're instructed to live by. So with that being said, I want to throw a term out there for you tonight and just see what you think. No, nobody calling out anything, but just this is a kind of a rhetorical uh, thing that we're doing here. When I say the name Sodom, what do you think of? What do you think of? Now, I'm sure there are many here that are very familiar with what happened in the city of Sodom. And I am very much aware also that there are many people today that have no idea about what happened in Sodom. In fact, they've never read Genesis 19. They may know some of Genesis, but they've never waded this far deep into the book and certainly have not come to chapter 19 and really know what it says and are familiar with what it says. I'm sure there are, are many people familiar with what happened, but maybe perhaps you, maybe even you have an idea of what happened. But if, you're, if, if truth be told, you're being honest, it's been a while. It's been a while since you really looked at what the issues were concerning Sodom. So here in Genesis 19, God deals with Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain, and he deals with them in a very decisive manner. The question is, and I like to always ask questions when I come to the scriptures, amen? When I read the scriptures, I'm like, oh, well, I got a question about that, and then I answer that question, or maybe partially, and then I have another two or three or four or ten or a hundred more questions to ask. And so there are always questions. And so the question I ask when I come to this chapter is, why is it that, that God dealt so decisively with Sodom? And I think a good question in coming to any chapter of the Bible is this. What should we learn from the things that we read about here? So whether you are familiar with what happened in Sodom or you have really never read the text of Genesis 19, let's look at this chapter and discover the lessons that we can learn from what happened at Sodom. So if you're taking notes, first we're going to take a look at the investigation the investigation. So let's go to Genesis chapter 19. Let's pick it up. Verse 1, it says this. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet, and then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly so that they turned into him and entered his house. And then he made a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. 
So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him and said, please, my brothers, do not do so wickedly. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. So the passage begins here in Genesis 19 that we have two angels, two men, two, it appears to be two men, two men that went into Sodom. Now, to, 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 to identify these, we've got to go back and refer, do a little bit of a refresher back to chapter 18. You remember in chapter 18, uh, there Abraham was at his house, at his tent complex, and there were three visitors that came. Remember, there was three visitors that came to visit, and remember, he he ran to Sarah and said, hurry, fix something, <laughs> get some food going here. And he ran out and, and uh, got some food going. And one of the visitors was identified as the Lord himself, the Lord himself. And then there were these other two that were with him. And the Lord spoke of a particular reason why he was visiting, that there was, there was he identified Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, the cry of their sin has come up before me, and it is very grave. And remember, I talked to you and made a, made a point to say that the Lord, the Lord said that the sin was grave. He, he actually added that qualifier to it, that there was a grave, a, a, the, the, the sin was grave. And so uh, the, we come to the end of chapter 18. The Lord uh, has that time of fellowship with, with Abraham and, and everything that happened there in 18. And then we come to 19 and there are only two. The, there's no longer three. The Lord has, uh, you know, gone back to do whatever he wants to do. Amen. And so then we are left with just the two men. And really, these are, they're angels. They're, they're divine sons of God and they're on a mission they're on a mission, and remember, we talked about it in chapter 18, that although the Lord said that the cry, the, the, the cry of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah had come up before him, and it was very grave, but it, that he had come down and, and specifically brought these two angels with him to do an investigation. Remember, we talked about the, the, the question with that. Now, if God is all-knowing, why would he need to send, an, uh, you know, why would he need to bring himself or send a detachment to do any type of investigation? Doesn't he know everything? But I think what we, 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 we talked about that night was that it alludes to the fact that, that, you know, God is the one that even as far as man is concerned, he's going to go through every uh, detail. He's going to go through every measure to even demonstrate to man that he's dotting every I and crossing every T and not uh, giving some rush judgment, but that his judgments are eternally based and fully just for all eternity. So we can rest assured in that. So we have the two men, uh, the two angels, divine sons of God, and on a mission. They entered Sodom. And the text here tells us that Lot, Abraham's nephew, was sitting in the gates, in the city gates. Now the gates of the city, the ancient city, had these gates. And uh, the gate was an arched entrance with deep recesses on either side. And then there would have been seats on each side. And it was a place of meeting. It was a place of gathering. It was a place where people would, would meet in these city gates. The inhabitants assembled there for social interaction and also to conduct business. So there was actually literally business that was conducted within the city gates. And so you had Lot sitting in the city gates and he welcomed the two visitors. And he, it says he greeted them 
and he, he, uh, he, he revered them, he invited them at that point to come and stay with him. And what did they say? They said, no. They said, uh, they said no, we will spend the night in the open square. And I think this goes to the mission that they're on. They're going to, they're, they're, they've been sent with a particular uh, task to perform, but they're also at the same time, you know, doing the work, right? They're doing the investigation. They're, 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 they're doing what the Lord has sent them to do. But Lot knew what would happen to them if they stayed the night in the open square. And so he literally begged them to not stay in the open square and to, to come to his house and to meet with him. He, he just knew what would happen if they did that. And so he pleaded with them to come into his house and they finally accepted his invitation. And he brings them in, he prepares them dinner. And while this is happening, while, he, while they're, 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 they're having dinner and they're, they're, they're um, finishing up dinner and it says before they lay down for the night that there was just kind of a ruckus uh, outside at the door. And... And look what it says there in verse four. We'll skip down to verse four now. It says this, and I'll actually throw that up on the screen. It says, now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. Now, it's interesting to look, you know, when you're going through a chapter like this and you can, you can skim through this and you can read this in about two minutes, uh, you can listen to it on an audio recording of the Bible. People that read the Bible and you can listen to those. You can probably listen to this chapter being read in about two and a half minutes. It's another thing to actually take a look at, at actually what's happening in each verse. And there's, there's some interesting things that are, that are given to us in this particular verse. It says, now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and men, all the people of every quarter surrounded the house. I mean, it's as if the writer goes out of his way to articulate what's happening here. This isn't a couple of guys. This isn't whatever. All the men, the men of Sodom, every, old, young, everybody, it's, it's a big group. It's all-inclusive here. They surrounded the house. And what did they say? Where are the men? Verse 5. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Now, this is the NKJV, and tonight, yes, is at least a PG-13 or maybe even a <laughs> maybe even more advanced than that. You know, I, 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 I apologize. I failed to give, give the parental warning before the service. Um, so... They said, bring them out. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. It was very specifically, very specific in the, the Hebrew text. If you look at the Hebrew text here, it's very specific. It's, it's the word that's actually talking about to, to, to know someone is to know them by way of a sexual encounter. And it's, 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 it's to know someone. And, uh, and so... It's very specific here of what's being said. Now, Lot goes outside. He goes out the door and he talks to him. He tries to talk some sense into him, but he gets into some weird stuff himself, Lot. Some crazy suggestions. But he says to the men, he says, please do not do so wickedly. Do not do so wickedly. And in fact, as he gets down, he says, do not do so wickedly. And later, if you keep read, reading, it says, because this is the reason why these two guys are here. So, I mean, you can read this chapter and, and miss what's happening here, but it's really hard if you're paying attention uh, to, to miss what's being said. Now, I think that brings us to a question, and it's a question that <clears throat> perhaps you have in your mind right now as you're sitting here listening to this. And this is, by the way, when's the last time, raise your hand, um, if you can remember the last time that you actually had a teaching from a pastor in a pulpit on um, Sodom and Gomorrah. Raise your hand if you can remember the last time that you, that's what I thought, okay? 
And this is why this is so important, because this is such an important issue, and yet there's virtually no teaching on it. And all these opinions being formed, and go out and read the threads on it, and it's a milly mesh mosh of missing the point <laughs> of what the text says. So it's so important. So here's the question. What was the sin of Sodom, according to the Bible? The grave sin that the Lord taught, not an angel, not someone else, the Lord came down and met with Abraham and announced a grave sin of Sodom. What was it? Okay. Um, well, the, the Lord spoke through the prophet Ezekiel, and he said this in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. I'll have it on the screen. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Now, many have used this scripture to minimize the sexual component of the sin of Sodom and say, well, see, it, it really wasn't a sexual sin. It was, you know, they, they didn't give to the poor. They didn't do the, all this other stuff. But what they miss is, you see, when you interpret scripture, there's a kind of a principle of hermeneutics that you interpret scripture in light of all of scripture, number one, in context, okay? And you have to look at specific words, the, the grammatical issues, the words that are actually used in the text so that you can come to an understanding, a meaning of the text. Now the Hebrew word here translated detestable, when I, when I, said, it, when I said it in English, Detestable, you know, detestable, okay. There's a lot of things that are detestable, you know. You know, someone in the room having like stinky feet, that might, that might rise to the level of being detestable, you know. But not in this word, not in this biblical word detestable, okay. So, so that's why it's important to understand. The, the, the Hebrew word translated detestable refers to something that is morally abhorrent. And it's the exact same word that is used in Leviticus 18 of sins that are literally called by the Lord an abomination, an abomination. So certainly I think you can conclude that perhaps the sin of Sodom and the judgment that was given by God against them wasn't. It wasn't all-inclusive of the sexual sin, but to weed that out and say that it was because they didn't give to the needy, the poor and needy, you have just constructed for yourself a God that's far worse than the one that you were trying to escape from. Because the people that make that argument say, well, I could never serve a God that would do this and this and this and this to whatever but pin the sin of Sodom and the destruction of a whole five cities on they didn't give to the poor. That to me sounds much worse and much worse of a God. Yeah. Meanwhile, last time I checked and last time I read the Bible, God can call sin, sin, and he doesn't have to check in with us to see if that's okay. You know, he doesn't come in and say, Charles, would it be okay if I called, you know, these things sin? Well, let me see. I got some issues here and here, you know. No. Okay. Looking further into the Bible, the writers of the New Testament, Jesus refers to Sodom and Gomorrah. The other writers refer to Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, Jude actually speaks specifically of the sin of Sodom. And, uh, and he says this. And this will tie into our Genesis. Uh, if you remember from our night with Dr. Heiser, uh, this will tie in here. In Jude 6, this is what Jude says. By the way, Jude is the brother of Jesus. Okay? 
So this wasn't some guy like, you know, out there like running off at the mouth. No, literally the brother of Jesus and, you know, in the canon of scripture here. He said this, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains unto under darkness for the judgment of that great day. Before we go to seven, don't go to seven yet. What's Jude saying there? He's talking about the angels of Genesis 6 who did not keep their proper, what's the word there? It's abode. The Greek word is actually oikaterion. It's actually speaking of the abode, the dwelling place that we have. It would speak of of actually the spiritual bodies that we would aspire to and groan for, the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans, here the angels went the other way. (laughs) Here they had the spiritual bodies of the other realm and came down to earth in Genesis 6 and cohabitated in that situation in Genesis 6. Okay, so are you guys following me? This is the argument of Jude. It's a very, very specific intellectual presentation, okay? It's not... It's not, you know, gymnastics or whatever. It's, it's, it shows that the biblical writers actually had a great understanding of what they were talking about, specifically the Genesis text. Amen? So look at what he continues. I'll pick it up at the end of verse 6 again and then flow right into 7. He has reserved these angels that sinned, that left their, their, their proper abode, He's reserved them in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. Verse 7 on your screen, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Okay, so... Sodom and Gomorrah actually become an example, and here the writer of the epistle, New Testament, brother of Jesus, gives us an example here, and he tells us that Sodom and Gomorrah are an example of what these angels did. What did the angels do? Well, they got, they left a particular bodily form and went after strange flesh. And so the comparison is that Sodom and Gomorrah, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, okay? So this is the the piece that you connect the dots here. Okay, so if you go back to the Ezekiel passage, while homosexuality was certainly not the only sin of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, it does appear to be the primary reason. And I think Lot actually addresses that in the text. If you go back to Genesis 19, he says, please, my brothers, verse verse, uh, six, do not do so wickedly. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let, let me bring them out to you and that you may do to them as you wish. Do nothing to these men since this is the reason that they have come under the shadow of my roof. Now let's just address this thing with Lot and what he said here about his daughters, which is, can you even... <clears throat> I, read, I read the commentaries on this, and can you imagine, that wh- wherever he went to in his mind, the desperation of the situation with these angels, not wanting them to be... And let me be just specific here for a second because I think it, it, it needs to be said and then I'll move on, okay? Basically gang raped, okay? Can you imagine Lot saying, I'll give you my two daughters? We have to be reminded that sometimes when the scriptures are telling us something, they're not necessarily, they're, sometimes they're just reporting what happened. You know, so-and-so and so-and-so did this. What? That's nuts, that's crazy. So-and-so said this. Like here, Lot saying this 
completely crazy, and I don't think anybody, anybody here can imagine A, being in that situation, B, saying what Lot said. So what, what did they say? What did the men of the city say? They, they push back. They push back. And they, they, they reject him. One of, some of them, perhaps, say, look at this guy. He, he's come here and stayed here, and he thinks he's a judge. He thinks he's a judge. We're going to deal with you, Lot. Worse than what we want to do with these guys. So they're literally trying to break down the door until the angels pull Lot back into the house and strike these guys with blindness. Okay. So that's the investigation. The Lord sent these two angels to Sodom to do some investigation, and what have they discovered in their short visit in Sodom? Well, it's as bad as, it's as, bad as the cry that has reached up to, to the throne of God. Okay, so what's the indictment and the verdict? Verse 12. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters. And they said, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But his sons-in-law, to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, arise, take your wife and your, your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and, and the hands of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass, when they had brought them outside, that he said, escape for your life, do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain, escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, please no, my lords, indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See, now this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, see, I have I have favored you concerning this thing also and that I will not overthrow the city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. And the sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. And then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the, from the Lord out of the heavens. So we overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abram went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land which went up like a smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Okay, so we have the investigation by the two angels. Now we have the indictment and the verdict. What is the indictment? The angels asked Lot, do you have any family here? Do you have any family here because we, we need you to grab them and go? Grab them and get out of town, because this thing is going down. The Lord has sent us to destroy the place. We're going to destroy this place, and you need to get out of here. 
We will destroy, verse 13, we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the, the, the face of the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. The indictment is handed down. The verdict is in. The investigation complete. The cry has come up before the Lord and it is found to be correct. It is found to be correct. So what happens? The, the, the angel said, look, if you get your family, get your family. If you have sons-in-laws, you know, daughters, whoever it is, get them. It's, we got to get out of here. So Lot goes to his sons-in-law and he urges them to get out. And what does the text say? They, they thought he was joking. They thought, literally, you're joking. Like, the, the city's gonna be destroyed? I mean, you're kidding, right? You're joking. And they didn't go. Now, I have heard this reaction of the sons-in-laws as uh, presented as evidence of Lot's lukewarmness. And that, at the very least, he didn't have much influence even in his own family. Now, I just want to clear up one thing there because he did say to the, to the men of the city, I've got two daughters that I can give you that have not known a man. And then, wait a second, he's got sons-in-laws. It is believed to be that they were in a, um, a betrothal period. And so they were his sons-in-laws because the betrothal, we don't understand um, we don't understand the ancient wet, uh, process, but the betrothal, which the closest thing we would have would be an engagement, but our engagement would not be all the way what a betrothal was. Um, and so that's the explanation of, of that particular um, little nuance there. But nonetheless, the rest of it pretty clear that Lot needs to get his family out of there, but he doesn't seem to have any influence over his family. Um, and so the angels literally grab Lot, his wife, and his two daughters by the hand and escort them out of the city. It's almost as if, you know, the angels have come and they've said, look, we're going to destroy this place. The outcry has come up to the throne of heaven. We've got to get you out of here, and we've got to do it very quickly. And Lot's just kind of hanging around, like just, you know, hey, you know, okay, well, let me go talk to the sons-in-laws, and let me go over here, and let me, and, and they're like, literally grabbing them by the hand and escorting them out because part of the assignment was they had to get Lot out of the city. They had to get him out um, in order to, to bring the devastation uh, upon, upon the area. Um, now, Lot pleads with the angels. Once, once they, they, they grab them by the hands, they escort them out of the city and... Uh, Lot, they get him on the outside, right? They're, they're out, they're out. And Lot, uh, the, the angels had, had said, look, okay, you know, you're out of the city, get all the way up to the mountains, just go to the mountains and, and you'll be safe. Get, get out of this area, this valley, the plain, they call it, the cities of the plain. This whole thing is going down, okay? Now, I wanna throw something out here real quick because remember, if you remember back in our studies, remember why, Lot chose the, remember when they, when they went their separate ways, right? And, and Lot's eyes went towards Sodom, right? And it says he pitched his tent towards Sodom. And, and it, remember there was a verse of scripture there in Genesis 14 that literally uh, compared the plain, the cities of the plain to the Garden of Eden. It was like, it was lush and, and just, I guess from that sense, a desirable, well, let's go down here. There's that verse that says it was like unto the garden. But this place is going down. It's going down. So Lot pleads with the angels. He says, I don't want to go up to the mountains. It's rough in the mountains. It's rough up there, and I'll probably get up there, and somebody will kill us, kill us all up there. Let me go to this, this, this little, see this little city? Let me go to this little city. And it's called Zoar which actually means little, little place or the little one, right? And so he doesn't want to go to the mountains. And so the angel said, okay, okay, just go, go there and you'll be fine. Now they were also instructed to get out of the city and to not look back, to not look back at the city. The text tells us that Lot's wife looks back 
and she became a pillar of salt. In that sense, she was destroyed. She looked back. She looked back with a kind of a longing towards um, the city, the place, the, the, the city of Sodom. Now, I've, I've, I've been to Sodom. And when you, when you go to Sodom, there are all kinds of these pillars. They're like, you know, kind of stone you know, they look like kind of just geological formations in the area. And, uh, and of course, the whole area is there's a tremendous amount of, of uh, salt and, and, and sulfur in the area. Sodom is today on the coast of the Dead Sea, which has a high uh, uh, saline concentration, so much so that when you go out into the Dead Sea, if you go to Israel, you go to the Dead Sea. You go to the Dead Sea and you, you go out into the Dead Sea and you can't, you can't drown in the Dead Sea because you can't, you, you can't sink. Um, and I just remember when I, we, we, we went out and we swam in the, in the Dead Sea and we were out there and I was just laying on my back and just, look, I, I can do sit-ups. <laughs> I can do sit-ups on the Dead Sea. And, uh, you know, and it, it was just funny. And, and then our, you know, our, 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 our guide, he was, you know, he, he was funny. He's like, I'm, you know, across the Dead Sea, you've got, um, you're, you're in Israel, but you look across the Dead Sea and it's Jordan. And, 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 and he's our guide who's an Israeli and, and he's out there swimming and he says, I'm going to swim to the queen, <laughs> you know, the queen of, the queen of Jordan. But anyways, um, so they have actually this one particular formation and there's a sign on it that says Lot's wife. Right, and so you can go to Sodom, and you can go, and then there's Lot's wife, and it's the whole thing. Okay. Now I don't know if it was Lot's wife. I don't know. I mean, you know, it, it, it certainly, you know, for all the the tourists that come into that area, it certainly, you know, makes for, you know, some interesting, you know, pictures, discussion, all that good stuff. Um, so, what is interesting about this? is that uh, when you look at it, you have, um, you have four, of the, four of the people coming out with the angels, right? You have Lot, his wife, and the two daughters. Now, remember the discussion that, that Abraham had with, with the Lord, right? Back in chapter 18. Because the, the, the Lord kind of let him in on, remember when the Lord, should we tell Abraham you know, what's going down? Yeah, we should tell him. Let's go ahead and tell him. Okay, Sodom and Gomorrah, it's going down. And, and remember the conversation that Abraham has with him. He says, now, wait a second. Would you destroy the righteous? Would the, would the righteous judge of all the earth, would he destroy the righteous uh, with, with the wicked? Wait, now listen, God, would you save the city for 50 righteous? And God said, yeah. He got him down to 45. Abraham got him down to 40. And then he got bold and he took him to 30 and to 20 and got the Lord all the way down to 10. And God agreed. He said, I will save the city for 10 righteous. Of all the city, of all the wickedness, of everything that's going on, this evil, the grave sin, the cry that's coming up before my throne, I'll save the city for 10 righteous. Turns out there weren't 10. The angels went down, and there was four. And turns out there's actually only three. Because <laughs> one of them turns into a pillar of salt. So three people made it out of there. So what this tells me is that God had had it with that situation. And God has, in, in the Bible, he has issued judgments that are fairly looking at them from our perspective without the, the, the context of certainly the holiness of God, the eternity of God, all that context that God has that we don't, we look at it and say, well, why did he do this? You look at the flood. We go back to the flood and Noah. That was, that was a judgment against the, what, what was happening on the earth. And God dealt with that and here we are again. And God is dealing with this. 
And he saved three out of the city. Now, when Lot and his two daughters went to Zor, it says, God rained down fire and brimstone and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain. And the text tells us that Abram went out of his tent near Hebron. Abram is over at, at his, where he lives in Hebron. And he, he looked toward the cities and he saw the smoke. He saw the smoke. And of course, God rescued Lot out. Snatched him. There's a verse in the New Testament where it talks about those that are saved, literally snatched from the fire. <laughs> you ever wonder what that's about? I think it's a reference to Lot. <laughs> Lot literally being snatched out of the fire and saved. And, um, and so another thing that's interesting is now that you go there and you see basically a desert, it looks nothing like the Garden of Eden. The area around the Dead Sea, the area around Sodom, the area around that whole area... It's just it's it's a it's a it's a desert land and the de there's the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because it's there's there's no life in it. It's dead. And so wow, explain that one. You have a whole area that is and it's the lowest spot. Well Jericho is 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 they say is the lowest spot on the earth. Um, and it goes down from Jericho in the north down to Sodom. Thirteen hundred feet below sea level. You thought, you thought Death Valley, California was low? That's 282 feet below sea level. Down there, really low. One of the lowest spots on the earth. Um, and just destruction. The bottom line is that God destroyed the city, but he spared Lot out of the city. Now there is this section of, of the passage there in in Genesis 19 from 30 through 38 that, uh, that talks about what happened after the fact with Lot and his two daughters. And it's a, it's a pretty, you know, risque story as well. And um, the, the daughters actually at this point are thinking that the whole world has been destroyed and that they're, they're the only ones that are still alive. And so they concoct this idea, whereas they're going to get their father drunk and go in and they sleep with their father so as to have him impregnate them to, uh, you know, kind of perpetuate humanity, so to speak. So you can, you can read ahead and look at that. But basically, the gist of that little section there is that um, the, there's two sons that are born uh, from them. And um, one is the father of the Moabites. And the other one is the father of the Ammonites. And that are supposed to be brothers. They're, they're in the family, but they, they, they end up being kind of outsiders in the sense. So let's take a look at the implications and we'll wrap this up tonight and, and go to the, to the gospel. Amen? What are the implications of this chapter? You know, what, how are we to look at it? How are we to kind of make sense of it? Well, I think that, um, that, you know, God is a just God. And we know that from Scripture. In fact, in, in the earlier chapter, in chapter 18, Abraham appeals to, to God on that basis. The judge of all the earth, you're the righteous judge of all the earth. So he, so he literally appeals to this place that God holds. That he, he's, he's, a, he's a righteous judge. He's, he, he's ultimate justice. And I think one of the implications of this entire passage, I think that we can take a, a look at as we kind of step back from it for a second, is that there is a divine justice. There is a divine justice. There is an ultimate eternal justice that is, you know, it always strikes me as very arrogant um, when I see someone that actually is, is trying to position themselves as being somehow more just than God. And you will see this in argumentation that is made, and it just strikes me as okay. So now you're, so now you're just. Now you have an idea of what eternal justice. You have you have an idea of how to sort this all out. Because let's be honest, there's a lot that needs to be sorted out on planet Earth. 
The good thing for the believer, the person who believes in God, is this truth, that there is a divine justice, and it's eternal, and God is going to bring that. He's going to bring restitution and justice to every single person. And that's something for the believer in Jesus, the person who believes in God, that we can look at and say, wow, thank God. Thank God that there is going to be divine justice. Because for the person who doesn't believe in God, the only justice that there is is whatever justice that mankind devises to mete out here on this short little time that we're here on planet Earth. And so if there is no God, the justice of a lot of the bad guys getting away with a lot of the stuff is just the way it is. Is just the way it is. But that's not the way it is. That's not the way it is. Because there is a divine justice and there is an eternal justice and God is coming back to, 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 to judge the world. He didn't come the first time to judge the world or condemn it. And Jesus said this to Nicodemus in, in, in that nighttime meeting. He says, the son of man did not come into the world to, to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. So the gospel has gone out. Jesus completed his mission of dying on the cross and the gospel has been meted out. But there is coming a time, there is coming a time when the, ark of the, the door of the ark is shut. There is coming a time when the last person is pulled out and the fires do come. And divine justice does come. So for the unbeliever, the unbeliever has to wrestle with the ultimate injustice in this world. And that, the, and that that is all there is. For the believer, we rest assured that there is a divine eternal justice. And that we have submitted our lives to the righteous judge of all the earth. And he will judge righteously and justly every single person. So there's an ultimate justice that will be visited upon every single person. That's number one. Number two, and this is the gospel. Jesus satisfied the divine eternal justice. Jesus satisfied the divine eternal justice. Jesus satisfied the divine eternal justice by his sacrifice on the cross. How's that? If you remember back to our message from chapter 18, I talked to you about four, four things. Evil, justice, love, and forgiveness. Evil, love, justice, and forgiveness. And there is a place where all four of those things converge in human history. The one place that they all converged was on a hill called Calvary, where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, went to that hill, carried a cross, was nailed to it, and became the perfect sacrifice. The writer of, he, of, the writer of Isaiah, the prophet, said it this way, not knowing fully what he was talking about, but under the divine, divine uh, movement of the Holy Spirit upon him, the 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 chastisement of our peace, the penalty for our peace with God, the penalty that was on us, he took upon him. This is what Jesus did. And so there is a divine justice and that's gonna be meted out to every person, but the gospel message is to anyone who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus satisfied the divine eternal justice and if you're in Christ, you have been made right with God. The chastisement of your peace with God was upon him. He died in your place. We already sung it tonight. A scandal of grace. You died in my place. And so that's where it comes together. This place where, where evil, justice, love, and forgiveness all converge. On the cross of Calvary, it's a, it's a place where the love of God, 
against the evil of man met the justice that God knew had to be paid, and he did it through his son and offers forgiveness to every single person who would come. Now, the last point is this. That gospel message, that gospel reality has to be appropriated to your life. How is it that you are worthy to be like Lot, snatched out of the city before the destruction comes? By that gospel being appropriated to your life. We're going to the table of the Lord. Jesus said, and I'll close with this, in John chapter 6, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no place with me, you have no life in you. It was a very hard saying. In fact, that was the place in the gospel where the crowds had come. This was the day after he fed the multitude. They had followed him across the lake and wanted another free lunch, right? There's no such thing as a free lunch. There was one. Jesus gave a free lunch. The problem was they showed up the next day and wanted another one. Remember, they said they wanted to make him king. I mean, anybody who can make free lunch, let's make him president. Amen? (laughs) But he said to them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. Wow, what a tough saying. But what did he mean? The act of eating is the act of personal appropriation. I can't eat your dinner for you, right? If you're going to be nourished, I can't have a Subway sandwich, and then you're getting all the nutrition and the benefits or the ill effects or whatever. (laughs) Subway's good and fresh, right? I could have picked on someone else. You have to, eating is an act of personal appropriation. And so what God is saying is, you have to partake of my death and my blood. You have to have that become appropriated to your life specifically. And if you do not do that, you don't have any part with me. And here's the contrast. And you've heard me on this before. It was an act of eating in disobedience that brought sin into the world. It's an act of eating in obedience that brings life to your dead spirit and brings you into the family of God, into the eternal family. Amen? And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it must be appropriated to your life.